You're listening to audio from Grace Hills Church in Aliso Viejo, California. For more information, visit us online at gracehills.com. So glad you guys are here. Uh, I checked the calendar. Christmas is next week. I don't know how in the world that happened, but it's happening quickly. Um, it's been crazy. Hopefully you got your shopping done. If you haven't, start now. You really should start now uh, or wait four or five more days to start. But... Uh, if we haven't met, my name is Simon. I'm the lead pastor here. Uh, grateful that you've come to join us this morning. If I haven't met you before, I'd love to meet you in a time in fellowship. Shake your hand, say hi, hear how you heard about us, and just let you know all the wonderful things that we're doing here. So last week, I spoke about my long drive to a city in the desert to be a youth pastor. And I talked about the excitement that I had mixed with the fear that loomed over that and how ultimately I found my comfort in Jesus alone, which allowed me to be used by God. Well, this week, what I want to do is I want to kind of keep piggybacking on that idea and I want to talk about how I felt and what was going on in my life as I pressed into that season of life. So I was a younger man, around 29. Uh, I was almost done with my undergrad work, and I was uh, at a pretty large church with a, with a pretty large um, youth group and a, and, a, and a staff that I would work with. And the group was growing, and, and I'll be honest, I was feeling pretty good about myself. I, I thought like things were all kind of clicking, and I had it figured out. I really felt like I just really understood God's word at that point, had a firm grasp on it. Uh, I seemed to be doing really good with the relationships that I was building. The students liked me. The staff at the church liked me. The parents mostly liked me. And so from my point of view, I had it all figured out. I was doing the thing. I, I was doing what I was called to do. But here's the problem. But I didn't realize back then I was wet behind the ears. I was a total greenhorn. I had no idea what I was doing. Half the time, I was just running aimlessly trying to make things happen. And I thought that I had it all together. You, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, right? You don't even know what you don't know. And what I found that I was doing most of the time, because I didn't really know God's word as much as I thought I did, because I wasn't as good at what I was doing as I thought I was doing, I was leaning into my own, my own natural abilities and talents. And I was really kind of like letting those be the thing that got me through. And I was pretty personable. Um, I was a bit charismatic. I, I had some fun ideas, but they were all kind of in my own power for the most part. Now, my boss at that time, who was the, the pastor who was over me, he had a lot more experience than I did. He had probably 10 plus years experience on top of where I was already at. He had done missionary work. He had done all sorts of stuff all over the area. And he started to walk with me. And when I say that, what I meant was he started to correct me in all the problems and the errors of my ways. And he would say, you know, this is dumb, or you shouldn't do this, or that's theologically inaccurate, or it doesn't actually say that in the Bible. And I'm like, oh, I, I had no idea. And so he just started showing me stuff. And one of the things that he did, he said, hey, I want you to read these books. I want you to read some of our church forefathers that went before us. I want you to start listening to these podcasts. I want you to start listening to these people. I want you to read these articles. And he challenged me on a lot of my theology. And it was because of that that I really believed that I started to grow a lot. Now, I could have brushed him off. Like, hey, listen, man. They hired me to do this job. I've been doing this for 10 years as a volunteer. I got to figure it out, man. I don't need your help. I kind of know what I'm doing. Or I could have been the uh, passive aggressive. Yeah, 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 sure, sure. Yeah, uh-huh, yeah, sure. And then not do what he said. I could have done that. But here's the thing. I may have done all right. I may have been mediocre at my job, but I would have been lacking. 
Because what I found in some of that is a lot of what I didn't understand is truly how the gospel plays out every day in everyone's life. We look at the gospel at times and go, oh, fire insurance, perfect, it's salvation. Yes, it is that, but it's so much more. And it blends into every aspect of our life, every single day that we are dying to the old self, that Christ has called us to him, that he is saving us from our desires that we want that pull us away from him. And honestly, this is where we find ourselves today, in the book of Acts. We're going to break from the book of Acts today. This is our last time in the book of Acts. And then we'll um, move into a couple little sections, and we're going to hit some fun books next year. But we won't be back to Acts until summertime. Hopefully, we're going to try to finish it, but we may not. But what we are going to see is we're going to go right back to seeing Paul. Now, if you caught the last couple of verses that we ended on last week, you'll see that Paul goes to Antioch, and then it says what? He immediately starts on his third missionary journey. It's like, it's one sentence. He's here, he's hanging out, and he's like, boom, he's on his journey. That's how fast it happens. And what we find him is we see Paul's life, where he's at, who God brings alongside Paul, and we're going to see what's happening in that section. Now, some of you say, I read too much up here, and I read too long. And I want you to know that you're right. I do. Uh, but this week, I'm going to own it. I'll own it, okay? Most of those are from my kids, not from you guys. You guys are way kinder. Um, we're going to read five verses is all we're going to read. Acts 18, 24 through 28. And for those of you who like to kind of like stay rooted in the passage, we're not going anywhere else today. This is the only place that we're going to be. I may reference things, but we're not going to go anywhere else. So, says, now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. Let's pray, and we'll get into this passage this morning. Lord Jesus, thank you for the life of Apollos. Thank you for Priscilla and Aquila, and thank you for the picture that we have of how the church should and is most glorifying to you and it functions in this way. Lord, I thank you for humility. I thank you for teachability. As we see this in so many different aspects of this story, Lord, I ask that you would press into our lives. If there are areas where pride exists in our heart, that we would take a posture of humility, where we are reluctant to receive instruction. I ask that you would give us teachable hearts. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would speak through me this morning, that you would use me to communicate your truth. If there's anything that I shouldn't say, please take it from my words. If there's anything that you want me to say that's not on my notes, that you would give me the power to trust you, believe you, and proclaim that boldly. We love you. We pray this in your glorious and amazing name. Amen. Let me get a drink of water, because apparently... You guys are all going to get me sick. Okay, so this is where we find ourselves today. 
Uh, in, in this section, Paul's going to keep his promise. He made a promise at the end of the last week where he said to the people in Ephesus, I'll come if the Lord wills, right? So he stays away for a while. He visits the church. He kind of gives them the updates. And then he heads out on his third missionary journey. And he's thrown right back into the thrust of things. Now, Here's the thing. We're going to move away from Paul this week. We're not going to actually talk about Paul very much at all. But what we are going to do is we're going to focus in on a, a man that we hear in this story whose name is Apollos. So to start this off, what we want to do is we want to look at the background and the pedigree of Apollos and who he is. So this is just verses 24 through 25, but we can learn a lot about Apollos in these two verses. So let's start with where he's from. It says he's from an area called Alexandria. Uh, you may know that if you're a history buff, there was a huge library that existed during the ancient world during that time, a massive collection of knowledge. Uh, that's where he's from. It was northern Egypt. It was on the coast. So if you're looking at like Ephesus, it's down here across the water. That's sort of where it's at. Large Jewish community there. They'd say it's anywhere from one quarter to one third of that area was made up of Jewish men and women. Ultimately, that would become a huge area where there'd be a massive population of Christians, ultimately. Now, the other side of that was very Greek, okay? A lot of knowledge flowing through there. It was a prominent city, well known by all. It was the city known for knowledge and learning and intellect and education. Everything flowed through that area and they studied so much. Uh, brilliant people were trained there. They, they learned philosophy and culture and language. Fun fact, the Old Testament was translated into Greek in Alexandria, uh, that, which is known as Septuagint. That's where that was done. Uh, it, had a, it, it was just one of those towns where you say the name, and they're like, oh, smart people. So like, if I say, oh, uh, I studied in Oxford, it's that vibe, right? That's the vibe that it would have. Or like, oh, I went to Yale. I went to Harvard. Maybe not Harvard right now, but before... Or I went to Stanford. It was just an area that you would say that name and people knew that there was a level of education that came from the educational, like the, the elites of that day. That's sort of how it was known. Somehow, we don't know exactly how, the Apollos ended up in Ephesus. He hopped on a boat and he went across there for some reason. Now, it says there's a few things we can learn about it. One, it says that he was an eloquent man. He was eloquent. So that, that is defined as uh, speaking with uh, precision, elegance, force, persuasion, especially as the result of study. He was a smooth talker. And what I mean by that is not that he was some kind of shady car salesman, but he spoke in such a way that things made sense. Like he would speak, he would connect the dots, he had linear train of thought, he could move people to understand what he was trying to communicate. He said it in a way that you're like, he's just easy to listen to. But he wasn't passive. It said that he spoke with force at some level, meaning that he was bold in the proclamations that he would make as he would preach God's word. And he was persuasive, meaning that as he spoke, people are like, okay, yes, I see that. Maybe you've met somebody like that. They can't communicate to you and you're like, oh, I just, I, I tend to believe that as well. That makes sense. That has a lot going on there. But it says it is especially as a result of study. That's going to be a big part of what we're going to talk about. My next point is it says he was competent in scripture or capable, having the skills and qualifications to do something well. He was a Jewish 
Uh, he grew up a Jewish boy, which means he was trained uh, to know uh, God's word and the scriptures of the Old Testament, the scrolls, that he would study those, that he understood those. Um, the reality was is that he was competent, that he could handle God's word in such a way that he could communicate it well. He studied God's word. He, he, he knew it inside and out. He had the ability to read it, comprehend it, and then re-communicate that to others. And I love that it says in scripture. He was trained in a lot of things if he was in Alexandria. There's no question about it that if he was there, he was learning lots of stuff. But it makes it a highlight to say that he was trained in scripture, meaning that he was rooted in truth, whatever he was going to do. That was the foundation for what he was going to communicate, which made him competent. So he was well taught. He had a passion to learn and to grow in knowledge. We tend to go to schools because we want to learn something. We want to learn a trade. We go through a trade school to do that. If we want to go to uh, learn law, we go to a law school. If we want to learn engineering, like go to Cal Poly. Like there's just places that you go. You go, I want to learn. He went to this area because he wanted to continue his learning. Because he was passionate about it. Because it says he was fervent in spirit. Now, that word fervent is actually a weird word. If you, if you see what it says, it actually is to be inflamed or boil. That's the, how the word kind of translates. And so it means to become emotionally inflamed, conceived as water boiling. Now, every once in a while, I'm accused of being too passionate up here. Yeah, maybe you've seen that. I, I talk really loud. I talk really fast. I pace around. I move my hands like I'm Italian. Everything's happening up here. And you're like, what is up with that guy? <laughs> well, here's the thing. Why was he so fervent? I think it's real simple. Because he absolutely believed that what he was teaching and preaching was truth. You want to know why I get so worked up up here? Why I get so passionate? I believe it. I literally believe that this is the word of God given to us that we could know who God is, who Jesus is, where salvation comes from, and we can know the God of the universe and what he would want for us that would glorify him most and bring us the most joy. Every time we preach this word, we have to realize that we are hearing the word of God speaking to us. And if it is God, why would we ignore that? If there is truth, that there is salvation in this word, why would we not be so passionate to say, listen, we're talking about life and death and eternity with God or an eternity separated from God. I care about you so much that I want you to know the truth so you won't walk in darkness. And that's the kind of guy that Apollos was. He believed the scriptures. He understood this God, Yahweh. The God of the universe who made everything that we see, taste, feel, touch, and experience. Says that God wants to be a part of my life because he loves me and he cares for me and he pursues me, ultimately culminating in Jesus Christ coming to earth and dying for our sins. It says that he taught accurately. That's really important, by the way, to teach accurately. Anyone can teach. You can say anything you want up here, but he was actually accurate in what he was saying. As he spoke about Jesus, he was correct. Uh, that word uh, accurately is just mindful in a careful and deliberate manner. As you look at this list of things that are described of Apollos, I think we'd all say, I would like people to use those words to describe me at some level. Like, those are all good things. There's, there's, a, there's, there's great qualities there. I, I hope someday that as people look back on mine, they go, yeah, Simon was like that. Simon was like Apollos. And Apollos is just kind of one of those guys. Maybe you've met them before. Really smart, 
They communicate well. They're fun at parties. You can talk to them for a long period of time. You enjoy yourself when you're with them. You ever meet someone like that? You just kind of talk and it's just so natural. You're like, wow, this person is so brilliant. This person is so smart. Like, how do they know these things? This is amazing. He's just that guy. Now, we could look at him and say, some guys are just born that way, Simon. Some guys just have those abilities and those gifts and um, that has nothing to do with me. Maybe you're thinking, I can't relate to someone like this. Well, I would argue that most of Apollo's traits can be learned. Most of Apollo's uh, character is just a natural part of being uh, someone who loves Jesus and pursues him with all their heart. It really is. If you apply yourself, if you study, if you read, you can learn and you can grow in all these areas as well. As we look at the word disciple, disciple has a couple of different uh, meanings for it in the Bible. One's like a generic person, just, just a disciple, someone who follows someone. Uh, one is a religious leader. But one that popped out in the de definition of disciple is a person who followed and adhered to the teachings of another. Why do I say that? It means that discipline is attached to the idea of being a disciple. That there is some level of discipline that we need to exercise in our life if we want to learn and grow in that way. Every person who has ever lived has had to learn, right? You don't just wake up smart. You may put your Bible by your beds so that osmosis may take place so you can learn it. But that is not how that works. I've tried for so many years. Finally, I had to pick it up and read the thing. It's like we all desire the matrix. I just want to plug in, learn the information, and I know it all. It'd be great. But that's not how it works. There's sacrifice. There's hard work. There's commitment to the things that we want. Now, I'm going to say this because I, I, I'm not that smart. Okay? I'm not a super smart guy. I wasn't great in school. I got really, really bad grades all through high school, all through junior high, mostly because I didn't care. I didn't think what they were teaching had anything to do with my life. And I thought, oh, this is all dumb. I realized that math and English and history were actually pretty important things. And why I spell so poorly is because I didn't care about those things. But something happened. When I went to seminary, I couldn't help but be hungry for God's word all the time. Like I just wanted to read it all the time. I, I had spare time and I'm reading God's word. I'm, I'm not a reader. Like if you know me, I'm not a big reader. But this is, this is what I have. Like I, I want to learn and know and understand. Like the more I'd open these books and I'd study these different things about who God is, I'm like, I want to know more about that. I'm reading footnotes. I'm like, those, what were the, I didn't even know what they were before. I didn't even know what a footnote was. Now I'm finding the footnotes and reading other books so I can learn other things. Why? Because there is this love and this passion and this desire to understand this God that we keep pointing to. Like, who is he? What are his character traits? Why would he show us grace and mercy when he didn't have to? And I just wanted to know everything about Jesus. If, if Jesus is God incarnate, walked amongst us to show us who God is and what he loves and what he doesn't love, I want to know. I want to understand that. If Jesus says, hey, this is bad for you, I want to know, like, yeah, I, if that's bad for me, I don't want that in my life. 
I want the things that you want for me because if you're God, you know and see all. And so I would read and read. I, I ended up getting my master's uh, ultimately. Like I'm the only one in my family to have a master's degree. Um, why do I say all this? To give you hope. Because if God can do this in my life, he can do that in your life. Anyone, anyone can learn and know God. We live in America right now and we can still read this and hand these out. Thank you, Jesus. May not be the case at some point, right? But we have it now. You know how I got here? Like a guy who got a master's and a guy who's the lead pastor just said he's not that smart. Not so I'd get fired. That's not, I'm, that's not what I'm asking for. <laughs> because I kept reading and I kept listening and I kept learning and I kept applying and I kept submitting to everything in the Bible. Anyone can learn God's word. Anyone. It will change your, it will just change your life. It changed every part of who I am as I studied more. Everything changed. You ever meet someone when you talk to them and it's like they're just bleeding scripture? Like they're just talking all the time and it's like, are you just, it's like you're quoting scripture but it's effortless and you're just saying all these things. You ever meet someone like that? It's amazing. You know how they got like that? They just woke up one day and they're like, I just know all God. They, they, oh, they, they, they just bathe in God's word all the time. They're not actually even trying to do what they're doing. It's because it's what they love and what they care about so much. This works in any field, by the way. If you love sports and you study sports, what do you talk about all the time? Talk about sports. If you're into movies and all you do is study and watch movies, you're going to talk about movies. Whatever you love and desire, you will become very an expert in that field. So you can communicate about it. So you can, so you can tell others about it. So you can like show them what's so great about that. This is Apollos. He loved God's word. He studied it with all of his heart. And he was going out and communicating with others naturally wherever he went. The problem is we look at someone like Apollos and go, I, just could, I could never be there. Don't look at the end result. I've said this for a couple weeks in a row, by the way, as we look at different people in the Bible. Look at the little steps they took to get there. Look at all the things they did to be faithful in that moment to where they are. Look at their disciplines. Look at, look at their patterns. Look at the rhythms of their life. What is leading them to that? What's happening there? But we see by the end of this verse that there's actually a problem. He's missing something, right? There's something that's happening that he's missing. It says this, he only knew about the baptism of John. Now, he was aces on everything else. He had everything else figured out, but he was missing something. Something in his message wasn't accurate. Now, we don't know exactly what it was because that statement that could go a lot of different ways and a lot of intelligent men and women have kind of guessed at exactly what it was that he was missing. Some say, oh, he just didn't understand baptism, baptism fully. Uh, he didn't understand what Jesus had accomplished everything on the cross or he didn't understand the baptism of the Holy Spirit or he didn't have a complete picture of the gospel. Regardless, he was missing something. That's the big point of what Luke is trying to say in Acts 
is that he was missing something that made the gospel incomplete in the way that he was communicating it. My second point is a teachable and humble heart. It, it's so funny. It just seems like pride is the default posture in today's society. Is that, am I just crazy to think that? We have a whole month dedicated to it. Now I get it. It's in something else. But we, we embrace pride, don't we? We just, well, why? Why do we embrace pride so much? We live in a world that is so full of knowledge and understanding. I mean, we can pull out our phone and learn whatever we want to learn. And we can become um, instant experts in any field as long as you're getting the right sources, right? And there's something that's happening today that um, being wrong or not knowing something or being misinformed is seen as a major weakness in the life of an individual. That you are some kind of weak individual if you don't know everything and have everything figured out. Think about this. The more we tell people to have pride in who they are and everything, that you don't have to change, that you need to be exactly who you are and that no one can tell you how to think or what to do. Do you realize what we're actually saying, the underlying message in that? The underlying message that we're saying is that you don't have to grow and you don't have to learn. Could you imagine how arrogant that is? Well, I'm, I'm me and I'm right, always. My opinion is 100% accurate. My truth is my truth, right? It's crazy to think like, and I never have to grow. And I'm always right, and I'm never wrong. And so you can never tell me anything about my life because it's, it's kind of crazy. It feels like the biggest sin that we can commit is telling someone that they're wrong in some way, shape, or form at any level, and they lose their mind. Who are you to tell me? I'm like, whoa, I'm just reading some facts. I didn't realize that I was, I'm not trying to be offensive. If I respond in pride, if we respond in pride, we'll never grow, will we? We'll never have the ability to grow because we think we have everything figured out. The thing that we need to understand is that humility is the key to not being a prideful person. Humility truly is the killer of that. It's saying, I might not know everything. I might be wrong, or I might not have all the information on this. I mean, we, we all believe it, but how often do we say, I don't know everything? It's okay. That's a good place to be. See, this is Apollos. There was something wrong about what he was saying, and it just so happened that these two people, this really amazing godly couple named Priscilla and Aquila, who we learned about last week, we're now in Ephesus. And they heard this very talented, educated, passionate man speaking about the things of God and the man Jesus Christ. But yet they knew the gospel really well. They loved God. They spent a lot of time with Paul. I mean, you're going to be with Paul. I got a feeling you're going to be learning regardless. So you're hanging out with Paul making tents. That's what's going to, there's one topic of conversation and it ain't the weather. And so he's with them and he's teaching them and they're talking and they're doing life together and they're seeing people saved and they're proclaiming the gospel and others are coming to know Jesus Christ through that. And they're like, hey, I, I can tell something's off. He's saying a lot of good things. Something's missing. 
See, the more you understand the gospel, the more you understand Jesus, the more you understand what he did, the easier it is to identify when something is either wrong or missing. And that's exactly what happened in their life. They realized that something was wrong in their message. And so we see that there are going to be two kinds of humility happening in this next verse. The first bit of humility maybe you don't see happening on is actually the humility of Priscilla and Aquila. They are acting in a way that actually shows humility. If you look at how they handle the situation, it's very different than you could. They could have just stopped in the middle of his sermon or speech and said, heretic, you're wrong. That's incorrect. And then you could just list off all these things like why they're wrong. You could come in with just the, uh, I have all the right information and you don't, a ton of attitude. You could just cut him down at the knees. You could be condescending. They could yell at him, start a debate, try to make two different sides of camps so they could battle each other out. They could have been like, oh, I, I thought you guys from Alexandria were smart. Listen, dum-dum, you don't know at all, do you? You educated guy. Is that the approach they take? No, not at all. It says they took him aside. Very much modeling what we see in Matthew 18. And if you want to know how to uh, talk with somebody where there's sin or you need to confront somebody or have a conversation, Matthew 18 really lays that out really well. They took him aside. Meaning they said, I want to discreetly take you aside where they can have a one-on-one -on -one conversation and say, hey, let's help. There's, there's some things going on here. There's, there's a disconnect. Like you have so much good information and you're quoting scripture, the Old Testament, so well. But actually, this is what happened. This is who Jesus is. This is what he did. That the, the, the God that you're communicating, the Christ, the Messiah, that is the person of Jesus. That he has baptized us in his death. That we are now saved. That now there are no more sacrifices anymore. That he was the ultimate sacrifice. That if we place our life in Jesus, we can have salvation as well. We don't need to keep going back to the altar. He is our uh, sacrifice once and for all, for all eternity. Past sins, present sins, future sins. The separation between God and man has now been brought together through Jesus Christ, not by work, not by your own doing, not by your actions, solely by the grace of God. And that anyone who would call on the name of Jesus Christ, Jew or Gentile, will be saved. That goes for today, right now. So they talk with them, and they walk them through it. Why? Because they care so much about the glory of God and the gospel being communicated accurately. They were willing to, to step out in faith and trust God to help this young man do better at preaching the gospel. See, they helped him see the fullness of the gospel. It takes huge humility to be gentle and respectful to correct someone, doesn't it? Ever been corrected by someone who wasn't gentle and, and loving? They're the best. Just want to hug them until they stop breathing. Um, <laughs> it can be done in a holy way. You can correct somebody in a loving way. You can come along somebody and with a gentleness and a humility and a meekness, you can say, man, what you're seeing is great, but there's, there's, a, there's something here. Like, have you seen this? Did you see what God did here? Uh, we've been going through the area and we've seen how God's been moving. We know the Holy Spirit is real. Like this is something that you can have. Like they just kind of started walking through that. See, if your goal is to be right, 
you're going to come in harsh. Even if you think you're not. That's usually, I'm not being harsh. No, you're harsh. Because it's really about you being right and you proving a point and you showing how smart you are. There's an operative word there, isn't there? Yeah, that's the problem. It becomes about you. But what we see is with Priscilla and Aquila, it's less about them and it's all about God, his message, his glory, and people being saved. They don't care about them. They just care that that people hear who Jesus is, that they communicate it in such a way that they would be saved. That's all they really want. I mean, I'm going to ask the question because maybe you're the person who's like, I need to correct that person. And maybe you actually have the right information. But maybe people walk away and like, I don't want to talk to that guy, that gal ever again. So my question is, are you humble when you correct or rebuke? Are you kind with your words? Do you see them as a child of God? Do you see that the most important thing is God being glorified and not you being right? The second bit of a humility being shown is by Apollos. Remember where he's from. He's the really smart guy. He's from the city where everybody learns and knows. He's great at communicating. Actually, it's funny, if you go to Corinthians later, uh, Paul talks about Apollos, and he's talking about it. He's like, yeah, he's way better speaker than I am. He's way better at preaching than I am, which is pretty crazy because, like, that's Paul. But Apollos was just so good at communicating. He could have looked down at this couple and said, aren't you from that dirty little uneducated town? Like, you guys can't even read or write, right? Like, you don't even know how to read? Aren't you just some blue-collar tent makers? You can't teach me. I'm the smart one here. I'm the edumacated guy. You need to listen to me. But that's not how he responds, is it? What we see is that Apollos was concerned about truth. And that's something that I think we, we lack today. But here's the thing. It's not about Apollos' truth. Because if it was, pride would have risen up, wouldn't it? He was so concerned about one kind of truth, God's truth. He wanted to be under God's word in every aspect of his life, no matter what it was. We all need to sit under God's truth. We all need to submit to the word of God. If we are to reflect God, we need to submit to God. To know God, to follow God, we have to trust that if he is the God of the universe, who has created all things, who is all-powerful, who is all-knowing, who is all-present, I think he knows more than us. I'm just, I'm just going out on a limb here. The man or the woman who wants God's truth cares less about themselves and more about God. And that leads to something. Well, we don't see it much today. It's called the teachable spirit. They're willing to step into truth and they're willing to lay down their beliefs if it contradicts God's word. They don't say, yeah, 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 sure, 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 I got it, I got it, I know. Thanks for the info. Do you receive correction and rebuke or instruction with humility? What is your default posture when someone starts to teach you something? Do you jockey to change the subject on something that you're smarter about so you can still look smarter? Do you argue your point even though you know it's wrong because you have to be right? 
This is the Brians, right? Remember when Paul went to, to Brian and he was talking with them? They say, Let's, what do you have to say? They listened, they, they gathered the information, they understood it, they went back to the scriptures and they poured over the scriptures to make sure it's accurate. And then they came back and they believed. Like that's the reality, that's the truth that we need to sit under. I'll tell you, I love working with young men and women who have a teachable spirit who want to learn. I, I love it. Our staff is great. I, I love our staff right now. Everyone just is hungry to learn, to do ministry. Um, I'm just so impressed with everyone on our staff. There's a humility that flows through every single one of them. I mean, I'll be honest. I just don't have time for someone who thinks they know everything. It's just like hitting your head against a wall. You just don't go anywhere. And it's, here's the funny part. It's not like I know everything. It's not like I'm always right. I may have some more experience. It doesn't make me right. And the best part is, is if you move into this idea of like, I just want to sit under God's truth. You know the fun part about our, like our staff meetings and when we gather together, like I'm teaching those guys and those guys are teaching me all the time because we're all wanting to learn. And they'd be like, oh, I read this thing that was so cool. I'm like, oh, I didn't know that. And I, I go and I read it and then I learn. And vice versa, because we all want the same thing as the gospel to go forward for people to know and love and worship Jesus Christ. And so if we come into this area, it is amazing. Once you realize you can learn from anyone, it will change how you engage everyone. It changes everything. And I'm not saying that everyone is right and you're always wrong. I'm just saying that if you use God's word to be the standard of truth in your life, you will submit to the gospel in every area of your life. Because here's the thing, that person that you don't want to correct you might be a gift from God because they're calling you back to him. So don't be so quick to reject the truth from somebody because that might be a gift from God. You just rejected God in that process. The third thing is community makes us all grow, verses 27 through 28. After this, we see that uh, Apollos wants to go to Achaia, which is actually an area in, anyone know? Corinth. So he's going to go back. They're all going back to Corinth, ultimately. So they just went from Corinth. They went all the way down. They came back up. And I was like, hey, let's keep going back. They just like doing circles. A lot of circles in the New Testament. And so he's like, I want to go there. I want to keep teaching and preaching the gospel to others because now... He actually has a full understanding of the gospel. He's the most effective he has ever been in his communicating, which has drive and purpose that's from God. It's because of how he responded. And what we see is the disciples are like, they send word, they're like, we encourage you to go. They send word to the others in Corinth. They're like, this guy's legit. Let him preach. Let him teach. Let him communicate the truth of the gospel. And it says that he greatly helped them in the community. So now the church in Corinth is being blessed by having another godly man help teach and preach the word of God to refute the Jews, all because Priscilla and Aquila in community came alongside him, and now he can go and bless that community. He was powerful, it says, in refuting the Jews in public, showing them that through the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ, the long-awaited one, the one that we light candles for, the one that we keep talking about all month long and all year round. If pride was present in the situation, then everyone would have lost out on being built up. Everyone would have missed out. Hearing the truth, having this great communicator for the gospel, for more Jewish men and women to hear and believe, 
See, Paul and his group now have this other person joining them. Here's the thing. In the garden, pride was the reason that Adam and Eve lost their relationship with God. We don't need you. We can do it on our own. We got it all figured out. We got this snake guy who's telling us that if I eat this fruit, I'll be, I'll be great. So I'll go ahead and trust that guy. Boom. Uh-oh. Big problem. See, that was pride that caused all of that to happen. They could have just trusted God, been content with God, and know that they were in the perfect place, but they chose not to because they wanted to be proud. What removes that separation? Here's where it gets crazy. It was humility. The humility of Jesus. The humility of Jesus caused him to leave the throne room of God where he was worshiped, exalted, praised. He left the the place of God. And he came and he was born in a filthy, dirty feeding trough. He lived in the dust and the dirt and he worked with his hands as a carpenter. He lived the perfect life that we couldn't live. He kept serving his entire life. So he did not come to be served, but to serve and pay a ransom for many. In the garden, he had to put down his pride and say, Father, not not my will, but your will be done. I don't want to go to the cross. I don't want to die. It's going to hurt. It's going to be horrible. But in humility, he submitted to the Father because he knew that that was going to bring God's people back to him in community. It's funny. The thing that stops most people from coming to Christ is what? pride because the cross has no place for your pedigree it has no place for your good works it has no place for what you've accomplished how nice you are how much you give money to homeless people or whatever you do we have to say I have not earned this I do not deserve this all of my choices and all the sin of this world has caused separation from you Me being in charge of my life has led to separation from God and judgment. But in humility, if I can say, I was wrong, and we repent of our sins. And by the way, repentance just means a changing of mind. I once believed this, and I repent of it, and now I believe this. And the belief that we have is in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, that we believe that his death on the cross paid the sacrifice for us, that if we place our life in Christ, we will be with him for forever, with God for forever. The joy that we sing about today is the joy that for those who realize Jesus came, he lived on the earth, he gave his life, that if we place our life in his, we too can have that joy, knowing that we will be with God for forever until he calls us home. And we have this full circle of humility because now, because of the humility of bowing a knee to Jesus, and now we can humbly approach the throne room of God, giving us that access, the humility of Christ, humility of us to give of ourselves and surrender all that we have, and the humility to come before the Father and be in perfect unity with him again. And that is what he offers, and that is why we have joy. I'll leave you with three things as we finish up here. Some questions. Do you have a heart that's teachable? Do you have a humble heart? Or do you have a heart full of pride? Is pride the thing keeping you from knowing the God of the universe? 
Do you make room for disciplines in your life to know and understand and love this God who's gone to great lengths to save you? When's the last time you picked this thing up and just said, God, who are you? And just read. God, show me who you are. Read one of the gospels. Just see what God says. See the character and the nature of Jesus and realize that God is not some horrible, evil, wrathful, spiteful God. He's a God full of grace and mercy and love exemplified in Jesus Christ. And the third thing I would ask you, are you living in humble community? Is your focus the glorifying of God in how you live and what you do? Or is it about yourself? I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna invite the band to come back up and then we're gonna go ahead and take communion and celebrate together the joy that we have for those that are in Christ Jesus. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this morning. I thank you that your humility is what saved us. You never ask us, Lord, to do anything that you haven't done yourself. And so when you ask us to humbly lay down our lives at the foot of the cross and accept you as our Lord and our Savior, that you would give us the ability to be humble like you. And Lord, as we, as we get ready to sing and take communion, may we realize for those that have submitted their life to Jesus, that have given their life to Christ, that we're saved. We have joy. In a, in a dark world, we still have joy because we know that this is not the end. We know that there is more beyond this. This is a blip on the screen of eternity. And that ultimately, we will be with you the way it was designed in the garden to enjoy you, to worship you, where there is no more sin, there is no more pain, there is no more brokenness, there are no more tears we can exist with you the way that we were designed to, fully reliant and worshiping you. Pray these things in your glorious and amazing name, amen.